Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I'm doing my second part on parenthood. This is for you who are parents now. This is for you who are about to become parents. This is for some of you who might help a parent one day. And again, in defining parenthood, we go beyond the concept of carrying somebody in the womb and contributing to that life. No, no. Parenthood is the responsibility over a life. And some of you are biological, some of you are otherwise circumstantial, but you find yourself in places where you're supposed to raise a life. Because we know the attack in the world concerning family and the diversions that are coming through uh, conflicting acoustics. The voices across the world are many. Everyone is giving an opinion of how to raise family and run a marriage. So it's really confusing. And even the unhealthy compromises that have come into the church, it is our responsibility as leaders to make sure that we go back to scripture and bring out some of the things. In fact, some of the things I'm going to teach about, like the topic I'm teaching tonight, I've actually never had a preacher preach it. Not that it's not been preached, but it's important. God is starting to show us things that we have to take deliberate, very deliberate, very, very deliberate. When you look at the Gospels, for example, Matthew, Matthew begins by defining for us the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we go down seeing the fathers, born fathers and the children that they bear consequently. And then we get down to the one Jacob who begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And we understand by this, that Jesus Christ is called a son of David and Abraham because of the father, Joseph, who we all know is not biological, but by heaven is the father. And the genes, earthly, God has accorded to a man who did not contribute physically. Because that's how important it is for us to understand parenthood from the perspective of God and not from our perspective. So Joseph might have not been the biological contributor to the life of Jesus Christ, but by heaven, God recognizes him as the father of Jesus. And Jesus only claims right of that lineage of David and Abraham because of who? That man, Joseph. And that is why it extends to some of you who get married to men who already had children. Those children whether they have their own mother or not, they automatically become your children too. And some of you men who get married to women who have children, those children automatically become your children by virtue of the fact that you're married to that woman in spite of the fact that they might also have their own mother. And as this father who is raising children which did not come from your loins, 
you have the responsibility toward God to live godly in how you raise them. Because everything you do to a child you do not beget by reason of the fact that they are not from your natural loins, you are putting something on your biological. And which spiritually is adverse. And that is why you see that the children who were raised in such settings, who are disadvantaged by the fact that they are not biological, of some sort to the individual. Usually, they thrive more than the biological ones. Why? Because many parents don't use wisdom in raising these children. When you have a child who you do not have biologically, but God has brought them into your care, raise them as your own and treat all of them equal. Every seed you sow in the life of one which was not born by your natural contribution, all of that will redound to your biological. That's how the life of the spirit works. Because I've seen Christians who are born again, but you treat your husband's other children harshly. Or you treat your wife's other children harshly. I have adopted children. They are not mine biologically. But I love them like I love my own. And I should treat them the way I should treat my own. Because that's the only way I should know God. You see what I'm saying? And now I even have the spiritual ones. You, some of you are very disturbing. Some of you, are, <laughs> you can't be satisfied. Some of you, you're too demanding. Some of you, you're overinflated. Some of you are insecure. But you have to do your part as a man of God. So that's very important for us to understand this. This person might have made a mistake, but that child is not a mistake. That child should not pay a price because of the other person's mistake. That's not fair. Somebody shout hallelujah. So in defining parenthood, we also have to appreciate that it goes beyond your biological function. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so because of that, it's important how we raise one, two, three, four, five children in the same household as parents. Psalms 133 verses 1, if you read the message version, it says that it's a wonderful thing. Beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Now, many people interpret that scripture only from the perspective of the spiritual brothers and sisters, which is also true, that you are my brother, you are my sister, spiritually, granted. But also, it is true for biological ones, that it is a wonderful thing for somebody to have brothers and sisters that get along. KJV says to have a united household. Because we have seen households that are dysfunctional, disintegrated, divided, not from up here, husband and wife, but from down here, children. So today I want to preach a sermon called Sibling Rivalry. Sibling Rivalry. And what is rivalry here? Rivalry is that spirit of competition that seeks to win at any price for a prize or some sort of profit. That spirit of competition, unhealthy competition between children that seek to win at any price for a prize or profit. And we have been raised in families where some of you have had more than one child. You've seen these wars. Children are fighting each other. This one is fighting with their... And some of them are just healthy fights. They're just learning to live with themselves because even adults, you who are mature, you're still failing to live together with your wife. What do you expect this little six-year-old brain to easily um, do when they are conflicted with their own sibling? Because it takes an art 
takes a special wisdom, certain commitment and certain sacrifices to learn to live together at every level, to work with people at your workplace, to work with fellow ministers, to live with your wife in your home, you see, to relate with people in the community. It takes a certain level. Some of you are loners. You don't befriend anyone. You don't want to know. I met somebody one time who told me, ah, me, I hate people. Eh. I hate people. I just hate people. And they're true. They mean it. Are we following? So, yes, they too need adjustments as they're discovering who they are, what they can do, their abilities and inabilities, their potentials. And, you know, that's how life goes. So you're going to find a few wars in the home. And at first they might seem okay. But those little things can become so deadly. And you see it as these children start to grow. Yeah, yeah, you thought, yeah, this boy is just stubborn. This girl is just stubborn. And then one layer upon another layer, you start to see manifestations that are becoming harder and harder and harder to comprehend as a parent. And some of you parents right now watching me, listening, are confused on how to deal with some of your own children because you cannot tame them now. The enmity between your two children or your three or one against four or three against two or two, three against five. The enmity within your house, you no longer have the control. It's almost to the level of bloody or death. Some of you right now listening to me, you have the same wars in your own house. You have a sibling you can never talk to. Even if they do what? You hate them. And then it goes, you have children. And also those children also start growing their own camps. Team this and team that. And they're divided even within. And they're fighting each other. And then your wives also join. Because she has to be on the side of what? Of her husband. You understand? And then they also start fighting. And then it grows down to two, three, four, five generations. And some of you, you can easily relate with anyone else except your own brother or your own sister. You just don't know why. You can't stand yourselves in the room because you're a product of something. You also don't know where it began from. And it was not termed early. It has become a beast in your lives. You don't even trust each other. You can't even give your brother money. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. He will not pay you. You see what I'm saying? So this might seem normal. Some people say, oh, you know, it's a family thing. It's a family affair. Stuff happens. But as you continue to grow, you realize that it's the very reason why many families are weak. They don't have a posterity to preserve of strength because there are many generations of divisions because Satan exists where divisions are. You cannot be a collective effort. There's nothing that you can build together. Everyone is a part, disintegrated, and an element working on its own independent terms. And generation upon generation, certain things start to die. Purpose dies as a household. When Israel was divided in the generation of Solomon, Israel was never the same nation again. Israel got all manner of enemies and they scattered across the world. And only just a few years ago, Israel has now tried to come back to become a nation. But a lot has damaged on that dear nation, and some wounds might never heal, or some scars might never leave. Why? Because in one man's generation, tribes disintegrated, which were one blood. Which were one blood. And these divisions become nations. And these nations start having war. If you look at Ukraine, Russia, these people are the same people. They're the same blood. If you look at the war between Ishmael, the Arab nation, and Isaac, they're the same people. But something was not resolved between two individuals and has become a mountain 
And the effects of that have divided the world because they were once children and there was no wisdom to reconcile them. So what you look at as small can become so big. A woman one time woke up and God appeared to her and told her there is a spirit in your womb. Two children, two nations are fighting already. Before they even get to know how the world works, there is already a war in a woman's womb. You don't take that lightly. You don't take that lightly. She's carrying from the same womb. They circle the same breast. But they are sworn enemies and could even kill each other. Some of you have records of families that have killed each other through physical. Somebody got his sibling shot dead or their sibling's kid dead. Some of you, your aunties are the reason of the witchcraft you're dealing with now. Your uncles, very, very own uncles are the very reason why you're stuck and you're in that circumstance. Some of you, you know very well that you are stuck because you have a particular sibling, X and your brother, Y, and this is what they did to you. And that's how life is. And we cannot build a church with that kind of disintegration. We must begin the unity right from the household. And let that unity go outside and then affect the whole world. I know that these are not popular sermons to be preached in such a time. But if you now understand that the disintegration of the world begin from Noah's time, the two sons against one, something disintegrated there. And one lineage begets Kush, and then the Nimrod, the guy that begets rebellion in the world. You see, you see nation upon nation, and these are the same people. You see wars between Asians, but they look the same. These are the same people. You see wars in Africa, here, our borders. People are killing each other from the same neighborhood. But they're speaking the same language, same dialect. The communication is the same. If you went two, three generations down, you'd find a common father, common ancestor. But because at that point where the reconciliation and unification was supposed to be built, there was no wisdom. We, in this generation, when we get to know God, we know what to do. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. Read through biblical history. What is the issue of Cain and Abel? Cain killing Abel. Sibling what? Rivalry. Ishmael and Isaac. 14 years old. But he can scorn at a young brother. There's something on his life sensing. There's something different about this boy. How? We don't know. But that doesn't even need age. Even at two years, even at three years, a child can see their sibling and throw them off the table. This thing is serious. Look at Joseph and his brothers. One man against the rest. Abimelech and his 70 brothers. One man against the rest. Family generation upon generation. We see that disintegration. Now, present day 2022, the church still has not really given full answers to this. Hallelujah. And this is something we must have a conversation of. And so there are five things that I need to point out as pillars or principles of consideration for you to take home. Re-listen to this sermon as much as you can in your journey of raising children. I believe it will help you raise better people. Somebody shout hallelujah. Number one, the most dangerous, most toxic spirit that can happen between two, three, four, five siblings is the spirit of envy and jealousy. That's the most dangerous spirit. It is responsible of the first death in human history. It's responsible of the first murder in human history. The first murder in human history happened between two boys that came from the same womb and circled the same breast. 
and the foundation of that war and death consequent was as a result of envy and jealousy. That is one of the spirits you should nip immediately the moment you smell it. Don't keep quiet. Don't just observe it. Don't hope it will be fixed. The moment you sense it on a child, fix it immediately. Fix it immediately. It's one of those things you don't say, ah, let me wait on God. Let me pray. Let me... No, no, no. The moment you see it, ask God to give you wisdom and immediately address it because it can kill a man in seconds. There are people right now who know a sibling who murdered another. A sister who murdered a sister. A brother who murdered a brother's children through witchcraft. Some people's marital destinies have been frustrated because of witchcraft. How can her children get married when mine are not? Jealousy and envy. That's the only thing that can get your son to kill your daughter in broad daylight, and they do. It's just that not many report this. They see them in the house, and then they report to police that the girl fell. But the story was her brother pushed her off a cliff and she died. Those stories happen every day. And you know, the most amazing thing is, that's what the police hear. When we are pastors, they come and confess, I killed my own sister when I was young. And my parents could not allow because it was so hard for them to lose two children. But every day I live with the guilt that I killed my own biological sister. I have had stories with his very ears because it's a spirit. Not every death is natural when it comes to children. And some you might never be able to explain it. But I've had a story of a young child strangling their own sister. And they don't know what to do. They just found themselves strangling them. It was only by the serving of God that the girl was preserved. But he could have killed his sister. He also doesn't know what got on him. That's what it is. You deal with that one immediately. Yeah. Immediately. And some of you who have grown with this thing, you know it. You have a sibling that can kill you. You're just using wisdom to dodge bullets. But if you fall in their gap, they can finish you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Some of you, your families are lucky you don't have it. Oh, praise God. But some of you understand what I'm saying. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because you see, the jealousy and envy spirit does not seek elevation only. Because it doesn't care how much it's elevated. It cares that the target of jealousy and envy, the person they envy and have jealousy over, is above them. That's the only problem. You can give them all you want in the world, but they'll never settle if this person is above them. That's their problem. You can think that you can feed them, but you can never... Because a jealousy and envious person is a taker for life. For life, they're a taker. They're not givers. Especially to the object of envy and jealousy. They will always take. They'll never give. And they'll even hold that object if it doesn't give them. Because it's in there. It's built. It's spiritual. So, you look at Cain. God comes to Cain and tells him, Cain, do you know that if you had done good, it would have been acceptable for you too? All Cain needed to tell God was, what do you want me to do? And God would tell him and Cain would fix his issue and lighten his star. But you know what the guy says? The Bible says, immediately he takes his brother. When God has told him what to do, it wasn't after. It was when God had told him what to do. He talked to his brother, he takes him in the field and slays him. Even after God has told him, if you had done good, verse 7, 
I would have accepted you. Instead of choosing to worship right. Verses 8. He takes his brother to a field and murders him. Is it about his elevation? It's not about his elevation. Doesn't matter what you give him. His problem is that this guy has gone first, yet I was born first. That anger is not only towards his brother. It's with everything in the world. I was first. Why is my brother taking first place? Why are you accepting his worship? The foundation of jealousy from the core is the spirit of fear. Fear always is the defining factor of jealousy. When you find a person who is jealous, really, it's the fear of two things. One, the losing of a particular position or relationship. Why am I jealous over her? Because her performance in the family, I feel is going to take away my position as an elder sister or as an elder brother. And the relationship that my parents have with me, now they're going to extend to her. That's jealousy. You see, the foundation is fear and fear always follows it. When it comes to envy, the spirit is bitterness. It's not just, I have a problem. It's bitterness within the heart. It's resentment. When somebody's envious, they even hate the successful one, the progressive one. The thought of it frustrates their brain. Why that one? Why not me? I deserve it. And when a man is envious and jealous, they're not only mad at the person, they're also mad with God for setting them that way. Some even think, what did I do to God? Why would my younger sister get married before me? Why would my other brother drive a car before me? Why is it that he's the one successful and I'm not? Why is my this? And some of them, it's even the other way around. The elder one is more blessed than the younger one. But even though they are young, they still say, no, it doesn't matter age. Why is my elder sister having this and I'm not? There also becomes a big issue. Sometimes you think it should be maybe the way of order that sometimes those who come first, come first in many ways, but life has not been designed that way. That's not just the way of God. You see, so even the younger one can have a problem with her. Older one, why does that yours talk to my elder sister, not me? And that becomes a problem. And I tell people, that spirit, because it does not submit to reason, its heart is either put this one lower than me. That's all. They don't care how much you give them. They just want the one they have envy and jealousy over to go under. They will never settle until that happens. You can make them the richest, but if the other one is richer, they'll always have a problem. So a parent looks at this and they say, what do I do? And they just observe it. But death is roaming in your house. It might not be physical, but it will be of some sort. Because when relationships die, many things die. Purpose can die. Destinies can be frustrated. Perhaps God has made this older one to be the blessing to the younger, but they're disintegrated. That means this one's destiny is going to be frustrated forever. Perhaps the younger was meant to bless the older. This one's destiny, the older's destiny is going to be frustrated for good because the parent didn't take their responsibility before these brains could collect themselves and reconcile because they might never do that. So as a parent, the moment you sense it, you fix it. You would ask me, Apostle Grace, what is the solution of dealing with jealousy? Some of you, even here, you're dealing with it. It has grown up with you. And you will look at people who have grown up with a jealous spirit. There will always be something you will lack against the one with whom you're jealous against. You'll always lack something. And the person you have jealousy and envy over will always have something above you. Because that spirit 
for you to keep it, it must make sure that you lack something. You see? So, there are no seven steps. There are no 17 secrets of dealing with jealousy and envy. There are no 20 pillars. There's only one. As a parent, the moment you sense it, take this child who's dealing with envy and jealousy and invest time to help them understand God. That is the only way. Because if they don't have an interface with the Father, if they don't have a certain revelation of God, they will never heal. That is why the moment Cain killed Abel, God did not allow Adam and Eve to come in. Himself, he went to Cain. Because he knew this boy needs to interface me and know me. Where is your brother? You see, he knows what has happened, but he's trying to build a certain relationship with this guy. Where is your brother? Oh, am I my brother's keeper? That's a man even angry with God. And you can't fix them when they're still angry with God. Because no matter what, they always blame God. He's the one who made me this way. It's in there. They can love God. They can relate with him. But at one point, that spirit still takes over. And if you search them deeply in there, they have an issue with God. And if they do, then they cannot trust him. They cannot relate with him. And because they cannot trust him, they can't hear him right. So that means they are prone to false vision. And Satan continues to draw that dysfunction. Even what the sibling didn't intend to say or do, they will take it like the sibling intended to say or do. And it will become a bigger deal. It always becomes a bigger deal. The rules inflate and blow up even the simplest thing. But the anger begins with this God who made me this way. Why didn't he choose me? So as a parent, the primal responsibility is to first help your child, this one who is dealing with envy and jealousy, before you even teach them how to deal with their brother or sister. They cannot first help them understand the ways of God. Because if you don't fix that, if they never interface God, only God can heal such a heart. Only God can heal such a heart through an encounter or an experience. Only God can minister to that kind of person. Jealousy, the spirit, it has no counsel down or under the earth except God. Except God. He's the only one who can come and embrace this person and say, I'm actually superior to everything and every essence of you and help them find themselves in him. Because that completion is important. When the Bible says we're completing him, which is the head of all principality, by the time a man is jealousy and envious, it means they don't have the revelation of that completion with the father. And as a parent, ask God for the wisdom to help them find that completion so that they don't look for validation outside that relationship. They don't look for completion and they're not weighed or marked outside that relationship and completion. That they are not voted against all four outside that completion. If that is not defined, you're wasting time. Help that child know God. Reintroduce the attributes of the Father, of His unconditional love, of His perfect plans. Start revealing the heart. If you're dealing with jealousy, or envy, and you're mature, and it has grown with you, the only way you can fix it is a certain encounter with God. You watch people who are dealing with envy and jealousy and see their relationship and how they pray. There's something, because it's a hard issue. Even before God, you'll never be vulnerable. You'll break only to a certain place because that pride will always inflate you not to open certain spaces because the truth is you honestly don't trust him like you think you do. But you don't know. It takes only the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God to help you understand this. Because it's deeply designed. And some of you, 
even in your pride, you're even arguing, I'm not jealous, but you know that you're dealing with it. Somebody shout hallelujah. The only way to deal with it is God. Break before him and allow him to reveal himself to you. When you have a perfect vision of God, you will never compete with any man. Never. Never. Have you ever heard me fighting any pastor? Talking of a pastor, a church. I said, Pastor so. You know why? Not because I don't have my artillery. I do. I can't fight. I'm a smart boy. But I know God. And every time I see them in that light, I see that I can't fight them. Because fighting them would be fighting myself. And them fighting me don't know they're actually fighting themselves. You see what I'm saying? It's a revelation of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Next. Some parents have not exercised wisdom and found themselves showing partiality and favoritism in the presence of their children. It's a very bad thing. Partiality and favoritism in the presence of your children. Now, it is a natural fact, and this no parent should deny or can deny, that even if you have two, three, four, five children, you're going to have one that you'll incline to. You will love them the same. But there's one you'll find yourself inclined to. It's those little small things. Small little things. There were four children eating cake and one shouted, but you have not kept for mommy. And you had it. Even if your tongue speaking, demon chasing, born again, balanced, something will, it will flip you a bit and you say, why has of all these four, this one cared that they should keep me cake? Even if you're born again, it will get you. And then it's your birthday. And then one will bypass you. And you say, Alice, it's my birthday. You've not hugged me. Oh, sorry. Happy birthday, mommy. And then they'll go away. And then one will come with a gift. With a poorly baked cake. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> then you keep all your righteousness and stuff. But some will prick you. And you say, hmm. Alice bypassed me. Samantha baked a cake. That day you will what? You will mark it. Do you love your children? Yeah, I love them all. But you find yourself extending something. Now, it's 100% okay. Because usually there is purpose to that. There is purpose to that. You might find yourself inclined to a certain child because of purpose. It's also bigger than you, by the way. It's bigger than you. And you don't even have control over that. It's probably God meeting some bigger for both of you. It doesn't mean you don't love the rest. But you're also fulfilling some bigger than you. And there's a reason why God made that child that way. To strike your heart that way. Yeah. Are you following what I'm saying? Because I know children in this world who don't care anything about their parents. The day they got them out of the womb, that was it. <laughs> there are some of you listening to me and you're laughing and you've never bought your mom even a shoe. You've never bought your biological father even a shirt. And then your sibling buys it. Then you. Now that one wants to show that they are special. <laughs> are you following what I'm saying? So as a parent, it will smite you. And you might find yourself inclined. And that is okay. You should never feel guilty about that. But the point is, don't show it. Don't show it. The Bible says... In Genesis, when it speaks of Isaac, 25 verses 28, 
The Bible says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. The reason is not given there. But let's begin with up here. Isaac loved Esau because of his venison. He used to give him something to eat. Now, when Jacob is home, of course he sees Isaac telling Esau, hey, go and cook. You know that meat you cook for me? And these two are getting it, yeah? You know that thing you cook for me? These two are communicating. This boy feels isolated. He's like, are you following what I'm saying? He cooks it. He loves it. And to prove that this probably in some way used to be expressed, that sometimes Isaac is so loud that even Rebecca can hear when he's asking for venison. You see what I'm saying? So there's a boy who has phone purpose. And in the same world, there's a guy who is loved by the mother. And then he starts to disintegrate from the world. Why? Because he feels insecure. He's not enough. And that insecurity locks him up in the house. And the Bible says that Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. That's isolation. I tell parents, it's okay maybe for a girl child, but a boy child locking himself up in the room the whole day is something serious every day. Don't take it light. It's serious. Ask any boy. For us, they used to struggle to keep us home. Every boy, somehow there's something that takes you out. Either there's a community football thing. You understand? Those things. Every boy child has that thing. Why? Because we are exploring species. Educational people tell you that a boy cannot learn by abstract instruction. He needs to have the feel. If you tell him this is a mosquito, he wants to kill it and touch it. That's why every boy somehow, most of us have either touched lizards, what? If it dies, you want to touch a snake. A girl, you just need to tell her that's a snake and she sees a picture, she'll understand it. Boys, no. We are practical. So imagine this boy who being a tent dweller. As this guy goes in the field to get venison, this guy is just chilling. Has depression. That's insecurity. That is insecurity. And that kind of insecurity can become dangerous on a young man. He never felt his father's approval. And because moms are stay-homes and the mom loved him, he's immediately connected to mommy's boy. Those things, eh? they're dangerous. You understand what I'm saying? But that's what happened. It happened in a house. But you see, there's a reason why the Bible says Rebecca loved Jacob. Because the secret with women, women love power. These women. God appeared to her and told her the secret. The older shall serve the younger. She told God, that's enough. <laughs> Every time she's around the younger, why? Because these women love power. If you find a woman who is indifferent to power, then worry. Because women love, they're attracted to power. Even when they're falling in love and looking for the right spouse, they look for a man who, hmm, from within is power. You understand? Some happens and the guy says, it's okay. We'll make it. You got her. But some of you men are like girls. So what are we going to do? Even me, I don't know. Some of you men talk like women. It will be well. Let us keep on believing. What do you mean? Let us keep on. What do you mean by that? She wants you to say everything is going to be all right. 
witch wants you to row and be a lion in your home until I know what's happening, I can fix it. Yeah, not yet, but mm, don't worry, I got this. Yeah, they want power. They are attracted to anything that can preserve a posterity. She can't marry you if she can't see the next generation. That's what her women think. A woman can't marry you when she can't see the offspring of your children. Because they care where it's going to come from. They care the posterity. That is why Rebecca could risk her life. Because she's saying, I have to preserve the third generation. They are more serious on that one. That's why they even intervened on their son's wife. Look at me, what's wrong with you? No, I don't trust that girl. Because that's who they are. Who is coming next to power? Why are they surrounding themselves next to power? That's just who they are. That's just who they are. And it's not wrong to be that way. Because that's how God has created them. To harness power. To provide the necessary environment for power to grow. So if she doesn't find power, what is she building? She doesn't care if you're poor. Just show her a vision. She'll go with you. Just sell. Sell. Revelation, tell her me I'm doing this. I have plans in America. What? Even if you don't have, she'll say, take me. I'm here. But some of you, she comes and tells you, what's the plan? And then you say, hmm. What do you think? What do you think? So, she had a revelation of this man. But also, she might have been showing it. And that's dangerous. So Esau grows up connected to his father, Isaac. And Jacob grows up connected to his mother. And sometimes parents, because you don't know how to fix that, you disintegrate your children even the more. Where you have trouble wars as a couple and then you're not wise enough to understand that that's not the relationship your daughter has with her father or your son has with his mother. And then you find a man having a problem with his wife and he's sitting down his four or five year old kid telling him the issues of his wife. You two have mistakes. These children are not a mistake. And let me tell you, Unfortunately, this is most with women because you're emotional. Men usually know how to keep it. Although I found one some time ago. He was telling his six-year-old boy that your mother is a thief. I said, you guy, what demon is on you? What's wrong with you? So what she's a thief? She's still the boy's mother. And her being a thief and her love and relationship with that boy are two different things. Don't disintegrate that. Let the child discover for their own self. It's men. But with women, it's a lot. That one, eh? You? Men and women in this room, you have your time where you've sat down with your child to discuss your man. That is wrong, and I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Don't discuss the weaknesses of your children's father. It's not your place. Deal your issues. Get a fellow sister and auntie and weep there. But don't take that nonsense to this child. Leave them. God will fix them. He has his own journey. Why? Because like in spite of all the difference between Esau and Jacob who dwelt with the mother, eh? Jacob still needed a patriarchal blessing. So in alienating this child, if the blessing is on the hand of her mother, you have killed it. Some blessing. If some blessing is on the hand of her father, you've killed it. Why would you kill it? That's so selfish. 
separate your issues the two of you as you have them and the issues you have with these children and let them grow if even possible never show them that you have a war oh what happened between you and dad we just didn't connect things happen move on but that's not how men are or women that's not the way it should be show them what the house should look like Leave the rest to God. But some of you, everything, your father didn't do this, your father didn't do this. Yeah, cover. Sometimes he might not leave the money, but cover. And let them grow into understanding that that should not be your conversation. It's hard, but it's true. Because you bleed in the wrong places. There are families where there are two children, daddy side, two children, mommy side. One child, daddy side, three children, mommy side. Four children, daddy side, one child, mommy side. How do you live? You see what I'm saying? The damage on that child is bigger than what you're doing at that particular point, and you're not helping anyway. So you have to be careful. Somebody shout, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Same thing. Jacob inherits his father's issue. Actually, it's from Isaac that Jacob doesn't learn his lessons, and he also comes and has 12 children. And the Bible says, And Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Of course, the love was not wrong because there was purpose. Let me tell you why there was purpose. The mystery here, look at the name. The name used here is not Jacob. The name used here is Israel. That means it was a spiritual thing. But on how he executed it was the question. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. And here's a mistake. He made him a coat of many colors and put him in the presence of people he has never made a coat for. What do you expect? What do you expect? Imagine the things some of you do at your home. You have five children, but there's this one you're buying things. And the other three are observing. If you buy these ones, two, 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 you buy the other ones, three or four. What are you telling that child or them all? And I know that uh, uh, some theologians argue and they say, oh, no, you know, all these things were knit up together because that was the way God wanted to take Joseph to Egypt through selling him. And I'm telling them, the purposes of God to take a man from point A to point B are different from the means. You never judge the means because God is not limited to one mean. There was a way for God to take Joseph to Egypt without taking him through a pit. He doesn't need to take him through a pit to get him there because he's God. He's omnipotent. He has all the potential in the world to find another way to get that man there. Not necessarily through prison. There could have been another way. You see what I'm saying? And to tell you how serious this is, you see guys who see their young brother who has done nothing wrong, but they are plotting to kill him. Reuben is the one who pleads and says, please, don't kill him. Don't shed blood. At least let's cast him into the pit and in the wilderness. But please don't lay a hand on him. What shall we tell our father? And Reuben also has a certain love relationship with his father. So he says, no, I have to save this one. But also he had a certain deeper connection with his mother that you let her see. Otherwise, why would he lie with Bila? You see, when Leah, Rachel, these were two sisters, you remember? They all have children. Rachel dies. And the moment Rachel dies, what happens? The man of God carries the maid of Rachel and marries her in the presence of Leah. He's trying to tell Leah, I never loved you. You were a coincidence of a trickster called Laban. And Reuben picks this and goes and sleeps with Bila to revenge. I don't think 
that Truben would have done that if he didn't hear Leah bleed. That's just my thought. I think Leah sat down Reuben and said, you see what your father is doing to me? And Reuben says, okay, the only way to desecrate this, let me go and lie with this maid and see whether he'll sleep with her again. I know he loved our mother, Rachel. There could not have been full peace between the children of Leah and Rachel. There's always going to be a fight. You see what I'm saying? But sometimes the wisdom to be able to reconcile these things early should have come from the patriarch and it was not fixed. It was not fixed. So it goes generation upon generation, generation. That's why I'm trying to say jealousy, envy, these wars can be generational. They can be generational. Somebody shout hallelujah. So you might have one you love more, but don't show it. Don't show it openly. If you want to love them differently, separate them from the others. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one. Two, can we go to number three? You must teach your children early how to manage greatness and power. You must teach them how to live in the world where greatness and power are and they're fundamental pillars of understanding the world. And that's why you make mistakes in your relationships, you make mistakes in your careers, in your callings, in your giftings, because many of you don't honestly understand how the world works. If you knew, you'd stand on some principles, even if they were against your convictions because you knew the principles were of God. As long as the earth remains, there will always be somebody greater than you. And there will always be somebody you are greater than. Your children must learn that early. And it has to begin within the house. And to take it okay and understand and accept it. And understand how greatness works, how mantles shift, how power is distributed, how God anoints, how God elevates. They need to understand how it works. Because you see, especially when you have an anointed child, or if they're all anointed, but in the anointed you have a superiorly anointed, you're in trouble. Because like Watson Cain could see what was on Abel. We see it. How? Because when Abel is killed, the Bible says God gives Eve a son and she names him Seth. The Hebrew word there is compensation. And she said, for God has given me a man in the place of whom Cain slew. And the next line, and then Seth begat who? Enos, and then men began to call on the name of God. That means the spirit at work on Cain knew that this able man was a worshiper. And that's what he tries to kill. And then God raises a Seth to fulfill the purpose of what got Abel killed. That's why he says he gave me a man in the place. He didn't say he gave me another man. He said a man in the place of whom Cain slew. She got the revelation that this fellow who had come was not just an ordinary child. There's something in Cain trying to kill Abel. Now, that same thing can get on a sibling against an anointed one or anointed ones in the same house. Do you know, God will always speak preservers of posterity in the same household. He can pick two of the four, one of the five, one of the 20, six of the seven, one of the 30, but usually there's always a fundamental one pillar on which God preserves a generation and a household. There's always one. There is always one. In the household of Abraham, there was. In the house of Isaac, there was. In the house of Jacob, for Jacob, there were. But originally, there was. was a Reuben. Reuben messed it up. When he messed it up, he frustrated the kingly, he frustrated the priestly, and the firstborn blessing. All of those three were on one boy. Then he frustrated it. The only way God distributes them was because one had frustrated it. In every household, 
But have you ever asked yourself, when Jesus is going to heaven, he left Mary to John? Was John his biological brother? Remember he was firstborn. He took over the responsibility of Mary. Joseph had died. That is why he didn't leave Mary with Joseph. Otherwise, if Joseph was alive, he would go back to his father. He told him, look after this woman. Woman, this is your son. Son, this is your woman. And the Bible says, on that very hour, John took her into his own home. So she lived with John all the rest of his life. One of the gems is there. Wasn't Jude there? Wasn't he a blood brother? Why wouldn't Jesus, the firstborn, leave his mother with his own biological brothers? There's a reason. And God didn't compromise in those things. You see what I'm saying? So in every household, God picks certain things and people, individuals, for particular roles. And as a parent, you must use wisdom to know how to prepare your children to identify those that are greater and those that are lesser. See, a story is given of a man called Abimelech in the book of Judges, the first chapter. It's given. One day is a man called Gideon. Some versions use Jerubal. But Gideon's son, Abimelech, went to Session to visit his uncles. Time has come, he knows that they need to get another king in. And so he goes to his uncle's mothers and he said to them and to the rest of his mother's family that ask the leading citizens of Shechem whether they want to be ruled by 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. That means Gideon had 70 other sons, including this gentleman. And so this gentleman goes to them and says, are you going to allow all the 70 other sons to rule after or you're going to choose one? But he tells them, but don't forget that I'm your own flesh and blood. As though the 70 are not their own flesh and blood. Isn't that ironic? Abimelech is speaking. His uncles, the Bible says, gave message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf, and after listening to his proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech because he was their relative. He used the issue, I'm your blood, I'm the one who has come to you. The other guys don't even care, but me, I care. And the Bible says immediately, they gave him 70 silver coins from the temple of Balberish, Balberith, uh -huh, which he used to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. He has people out of the money, they give him the blessing of, okay, we recognize what's upon you and we're giving a seed to you because it's principle when you recognize someone higher, learn to bless. I'll come to that. So the Bible tells us the same money they give him, it takes some troublemakers, reckless fellows, and then they follow him and then they go into his father's home at Ophrah and there on one stone, they kill the 70 of his half-brothers, the sons of Gideon. But the youngest brother, Jotham, escaped and hid. That means they thought they had killed 70, but one boy escaped because God always preserves himself a posterity. Now, I want you to understand this. Why would you think in the days of Moses, they're looking for one boy, and the man says, kill all the boys, because this spirit at work on the evil king can tell that there is one guy who will disintegrate my order, and it can set on your own child. And if you're not wise and spiritual to pick it and deal with it, you can bring death in your own house. They might not kill him, but they can do everything to frustrate the anointing. Remember the time of Jesus. They're looking for one boy. And then he says, no, kill everything. Why? They're looking for one person. God usually hides. He usually hides the chosen. He usually hides the chosen. He hides them. Because Satan is looking for them. 
So those of you who come from Rwanda, the Rwandan genocide of 1993, 90-something, was looking for one guy. That's why the revival of that nation, I tell you as a prophet, will come from somebody born in the 90s. Watch Rwanda. They were looking for one person. One. You see, that's how Satan works. When you hear terrorism and war and the killing of many innocent people, you might see war in Ukraine, but they're looking for one person. They're not killing him. That's how you understand how the world works. That's why I say some of us don't know how the world. Yes. I told you one time about the law of progenitors, right? The law of what? Primal genitals, right? There's always that one Satan looks for. Primogenital. He wants to destroy. Now, some parents can't even see it and say there's something on this girl and I see three attacking this one. But how do I deal with it? Do I destroy them? Do I fight them? What do I do? What do I do? Teach them how to understand how the world works and teach them how to respond to power and greatness. Abimelech killed all. Let's go back to scripture. But Jotham escaped. That means the spirit on Abimelech was looking for Jotham, not the others. And the next line says, and then all the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo called a meeting under the oak besides the pillar at Shechem and made Abimelech their king. That's how he earned this place. That's how he earned this place as a king. Do you think God would preserve that? No. Someday he has to change it. And some of us have set our children in the wrong order because we don't understand how God works. Preconceived ideas and biases. Hear God on your children. Teach them that if they meet anybody or anything above them, they should do three things. One, Acknowledge. Two, celebrate. Three, learn or receive from them. It shall be well with them. Every time you find somebody greater, acknowledge them. Celebrate them. Learn or receive from them. Because if you don't do that, I've seen people whose destinies literally have been changed because they refuse to receive. And they refuse to receive because the person God blessed was their brother or sister. If it wasn't their brother or their sister, they would have received. There are people you may never be able to help because they're related to you by blood. And their problem was that you were their blood cousin or brother. If you were not related to them, they would receive from you. Some of you, you can't even teach your own family. Not because you're bad people or you cannot teach them, but that's what they see. Familia. Now, as parents, you might not be able to fix that as an individual, but as parents raising children, you can fix it in them and teach them. Because you're the one to show them the way they should go. When you teach them, they don't depart. And you also teach them what they should do when they meet someone that they are greater than. Because it's one thing to know how to respond to greatness, acknowledge, celebrate, learn or receive. But also, how do you deal with those you are greater than? There's three things. Number one, humility. Build a confident humility in their spirits. Teach them to humble around those they are better than. Because we have also those children, the moment they realize that they are better than their siblings, they rub it in their faces. You! <laughs> you even fail in math! <laughs> Do you know what they are doing to the other one? And then you hear it and you say, Hey, Robert, stop. And that's it. But that child is planting something. You have to deal with it more seriously. He's judged. 
his brother because he does better mathematics than him. No, call him on the side. Teach him that every time you're great at something, humble. Because that's the principle. The richer you become, the more humble you should be. The more anointed you should become, the more humble you should be. The more elevated you should become, the more humble you should be. The more God takes you higher, the more you should break. And that should not begin now. It should begin when you teach them as children. From childhood. Not when they're adults, but from childhood. Teach them. And there is no better lesson than how they see you respond to greatness. My father always responded to greatness a certain way. And I realized all of us got it. All of us got it. There's a way we respond to greatness. All of us got it in the house. Because we saw how he dealt with people greater. Every time he met someone greater, he bowed a little. It's just his character. And some of you, when you see me sometimes when I'm greeting, I do a bit like that. It's not something that I try to do. It's something that I saw my father do and it grew in us. Because he taught us, when somebody is greater, know how to deal with them. But also when you're greater, know how to humble. And I thank God for my father because he taught me how to deal with greater and lesser. Humble. You don't lose anything. Some of you, the moment you're this, you, oh, you get so. The greater you become, the more humble you should become. Somebody shout hallelujah. Number two, teach your child to minister comfort to the less. How? He's running with his brother, but his brother can't catch up, and then he falls down. What do you do? Run to him and tell him, Caleb, you'll do better next time. Stand up. Let's run. You can do it. I believe in you. Sorry, it didn't work this time, but you'll do it next time. That's beautiful. To come from a greater one. Because that means they're empowering everyone to be great. They're inviting them to greatness. But I've seen parents where one runs faster than the other and they say, ha, ha, the one you can ha, ha. You're like, What are you doing to your child? What are you doing to your child? Tell him, no, when your sister fails, comfort her and encourage her. It should be in his head. You always encourage those that are less. And number three, bless the less. Because without controversy, the greater blesses the lesser. Always bless. It could be financial. If God made you richer before your own siblings, give them some. Because there's a reason why God blessed you first. You could have been the one lacking and they have it. You never forget that. You should know how to handle greatness. Some of you don't. You have this wonderful job. But you have siblings that have nothing and you cannot help them. Help them. Take them up. You may not bless financially, but find some other way to be a blessing to them. Because you're telling God, I appreciate that you've made me greater. That you should teach your children. If you're the one who got the box of chocolate, share with your brother. So little small things. Share with your brother. Let the child grow up knowing that every time I am advantaged, my sibling will be advantaged too. That's the right way. Some of us, we just ignore these things, but they are deeply spiritual. Deeply spiritual. Every time God has elevated me in life, I've looked for somebody to bless. Every time. That has been a life I've lived. They taught me this wisdom long ago. I have blessed many people in this world. It's so random that I don't even know how it works. But I have understood that the greater you are, the more blessing you give. Because remember, 
some of the jealous ones are just takers. They will never give. So if you wait for them to give you, for you to give back, you're in trouble. Don't give them because they're giving you. Give them because God has given you. Teach your children these things. Somebody shout hallelujah. Next point. Second last. The law of individuality and the uniqueness of purpose. Teach your child that they are an individual by God's purpose and unique by divine purpose. You will kill competition within their siblings. Why? Because you're telling them you have to just be the best you, not another copy. Otherwise, I've seen parents who say, why don't you be like your brother? Why don't you be like your sister? No. Even when you're trying to define how they should go, stick on the point. Don't compare them. Always define them as individuals and always remind them of their unique mark and calling. I tell people that I might be here preaching to thousands and millions across the world and I have a guy doing security, but he might be faithful in that security than I am faithful on the altar. God will reward that man fully in heaven. It won't be about the millions I touch. It will be the faithfulness that I applied myself in the time and the things God gave me to give to the world. But if this man, security guy, does his work so well, God will remember that. Somebody shout hallelujah. And that has to begin in your child's brain early. That you don't need to be famous to be great. They should learn that greatness has nothing to be with being famous. Barnabas was not famous, but he was the reason why Jerusalem accepted Paul. Yet Paul became more famous than Barnabas. And without that connection, Paul would not have effectively preached the gospel. The Bible speaks of the parts of our body, which are modest, they're hidden. You don't see the heart, but it's doing so much. They don't put my heart on flyers. They put the face. But what ministers to you is this? And you don't see it, and it's okay. You don't need to be famous or to dwell with the things without to define the testimony of greatness. Greatness is different. Are you following what I'm saying? You have to teach your children to know how to deal with themselves as an individual. Who are you? And what's the unique purpose of God on your life? Every time you see them competing, mm -mm, you're different. Maybe you do math better than arts. And maybe their sibling does arts better than math. Some of you parents are one fail. And you fail to interpret certain dreams and visions over your life. And you've imposed them on your children. I want all of you to be doctors. <laughs> then your kid sits in a physics class. And it messes them up. Then you start fighting with this one because their physics is a problem. You want them to be like their elder sister who now does their physics and math right. That's wrong, parents. Your child can become anything. But let's add, according to divine purpose. You know, some of you also give unrealistically crazy goals and visions to your children. Because you don't know the truth. And some of us, it's in the brackets of statements like, you can be anything you want to be in this world. That statement is half true. The fullness of that statement is according to God's purposes. Otherwise, what if God has designed this boy to be a preacher? 
And for him, all he ever wanted was to be the most successful businessman. Do you know he can become a successful businessman but diverted from divine purpose? That's permissible. Tell them you can be anything you want to be in this world as long as it's in divine purpose. All things work together for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That's how you should teach them. It says that everything as of greatness they will ever become, it will be hemmed from the root of purpose. What God says. What he has designed this child to be. Some kids are designed to be great writers. But you wanted the lawyer. I even have parents who say, I always wanted the boy. You see what I'm saying? And then you set this girl against every man in the world. Because she doesn't understand why you want it. And you say it openly too. Oh, I always wanted the boy. I don't even know why. Okay. Go to school. You have damaged her life already. And then she'll find a little silly Jarule boy. And the boy will tell her, you look beautiful. The man has taken over. And then they call you at school. Your daughter is in relation. Lie down. Who to you told her you wanted the boy. That means you don't even like her as a girl. And for the first time, the purity of her spirit is defiled by your words as a father. And then tomorrow she meets like a silly boy. And the like boy tells her, I love you. And you think she'll, she can die for him. Because love, love, love. That's why I'm telling you. It's important for us to reflect because many of you parents listening to me right now are the very people that are destroying the lives of your children. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter one time, Jesus is about to go. Simon is talking with Jesus and then Jesus tells him about how he will die. He's telling Simon about the end of his life. Then he tells him, I'm telling you the truth. The message version says, when you were young, you dressed up yourself, where you went wherever you wished, but when you get old, you'll stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And this, the Bible says, God spoke concerning how Peter should die. Then he tells him, Peter, follow me. He's trying to tell him you have a distinctive calling and you're an individual different from everyone else. And the Bible says, and Peter turned and saw John, whom Jesus loved. Now, Jesus didn't really love him more than all the twelve. That's why every statement of the disciple whom Jesus loved is only found in the Gospel of John, the same writer. Luke doesn't write it, Matthew doesn't write it, and Mark doesn't write it. But everywhere you'll find the disciple whom Jesus loved, it's in John, and John is the writer of the book. I mean, so he was always convinced of God's love for him. Now, I think he also used to boast and say, hey, you guys, eh? I know, okay, Jesus loves us, what, but... <laughs> Let me just not say, but anyway, when I was just next to him, there, there are things he told me, I'll not say them, but... guy. What does he call himself? Yeah, there are things. You understand what I'm saying? Because they can connect to anything. John can connect to anything according to that relationship. And the disciples can also connect things by what they read. It was just the guy who just wanted to be next to the man. There was nothing bigger. He was always leaning on Jesus' bosom. So, now we discover that these 11 had a conversation What's that guy's destiny? It seems it's different from us. So it's in that same light, he's telling him, I'm telling you how you'll die. And then he turns. The Bible says, turning his head, he noticed the disciple whom Jesus loved following right behind. And he turned immediately and said, what's going to happen to him? 
Is that a guy satisfied? Okay, I've understood. But there's a guy who's always here. What's going to happen to him? And as Jesus would have it, he tells him, brother, what if I want to keep him to the end of the earth? Now, eh? those are dangerous words. And I'll explain. Don't worry, I'm coming to that. He says, what if I want him to live until I come? What's that to you? He tells him, follow me. Keep your distinction and your unique assignment and purpose. Don't compare yourself with your brother or sister. No, to explain it, follow the next line. And that is how the rumor got among the brothers that this disciple wouldn't die. Imagine from that day. <laughs> Guys, when I say, that guy, not going to die. Well, he's not dying. And it's so funny. Of all the disciples of Jesus that were killed, John wasn't killed. Isn't it? Am I right? Maybe it's the words they kept speaking. And they imputed righteousness on him. I'm told of a story of how they dip him in oil. And then we've read extra biblical books. We don't know how true they are. But what we know is that uh, he survived many things. You see, we don't see the list of matters and him. Eh? Unless you have any other document you can show me. But let me finish with this. God is trying to tell us here. Let's raise these children to appreciate and love who they are. And what God has given them. And it's okay if it looks less than the other. Because God didn't look at it that way. Somebody shout hallelujah. Lastly, the wisdom of reward and honor. Teach your children the wisdom of reward and honor. Define the principles of reward and honor in your house. It should begin from them understanding how honor works. Why you honor this and why you honor that. We honor principles in human beings. And when you see us honoring those people, it is because of the principles that work within them. They should be able to separate. They should not take it personal that you're just honoring or loving or rewarding this individual. No, you're rewarding principles. You're honoring principles. Always take it back and tell them, whoever does this, they are rewarded. If you sow, you will reap. Whoever does not work, they shall not eat. These are principles. Don't take it personal because I rewarded your brother for washing the car when you're in the bedroom. I'm not rewarding him. I'm rewarding a principle. And if you do it right, I'll also what? Reward you. Because sometimes these biases are just perception. They have nothing to do with truth. They're not really true, but that's how they see. And if somebody's perception is warped, it doesn't matter what you put in their head. If they are sure you don't like them, even if you do what, they will never believe you. You see what I'm saying? They should also learn how to respond to these principles. That's why the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is... Due. That what they are due holds a certain responsibility to the person given honor. If you don't deal with that, entitlement is coming. Whether earned or unearned, your children should not be entitled. They should not be entitled. And it begins in these little small things. My child comes in church and then sees me preach before you every day, laying hands and what. And then she figures, mm, I'm Apostle Grace's daughter. Okay, and he's the spiritual father. So yeah, that means I have a certain place in the church. You see what I'm saying? And then, if you don't tame her and give her wisdom, she can ride on the entitlement of the glory of her father and lose the character that she needs to develop to earn the honor and reward that she desires. 
And that's why you see pastors' children spoiled. Because we assume that because they sit, these children sit with us, we're sitting in front. No, they see, they know. I have a niece. One time she went to school and told them, I'm Apostle Grace's niece. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody came around Apostle Grace's niece. She walks like Apostle Grace's. I don't know anything. All I know is she has some special favors. Everyone is favoring Apostle Grace's niece. But her mother was wise. She pulled down and told her, mm, life is supposed to be this way. Life is supposed to be this way. I have nieces and nephews who attend every service, but you don't know them. You don't know them. Because we are taming them to make them understand that you don't owe me any exclusivity because you're related to me by blood. Flesh and blood don't inherit what's upon my life. No. You have to earn your place. None of you have ever seen my father coming here. Do you see um, this man's father? So, <laughs> sweep there. <laughs> yeah. But some of you, if your fathers were my father, some of you don't even know how my mother speaks, but she's in every service. Because they never taught us that way. They raised us telling us, find your own space. Parents, tell your children, Ali, the man I'm making is for me and your mother. When you grow, you'll make yours. Don't discuss inheritance to a six-year-old. But some of you, the child is 12. All oh, this is yours. <laughs> and then the kid at 12 eh, enters the school like this. Eh. What's the point of studying? Hmm? What's the point of studying? Everything my father has is what? What's the point of study? There's no point. And then even in school, you see your kids snobbish on your own money. It's their mother's money, their father's money, but they have snobs already. They have clubs, rich kids clubs. We had them in school. Where you had a collection of rich kids and their fathers who are connected. And it's sometimes it's those little classifications. Even as you grow up, they grow up with you. You meet every guy who went to Buddha. They all have a certain bounce here. They all have this thing of we know, we studied, we went to the school, the rest of you didn't go anywhere. Talk to us nicely. <laughs> Gayaza girls, we know how you walk. Navisunsa girls, we know how you walk. But that's all right if it's a school thing. Back to family. Your child does not have an exclusive right of entitlement because you drive a car. The man that raised me, you wake up late. If there's a car he drives off, you find your way to school. So that you know even that car is not yours. <laughs> At 13, this man took me to work, handed me over to a certain woman and said, give him a job. Whether you pay him or not, I want him working. <laughs> 13 years, I started working. The moment I graduated, senior six, I remember that day. I will never forget that day. It was 6 a.m. in the morning, dark. In Uganda, six is dark, those of you out. And this man came on a rainy day, boop, 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 my room. Grace, uh-huh, yes, wake up and go and look for a job. I thought maybe this guy is playing with me. Ten minutes later, he says, I said, I'm not leaving you in the bed, and... For some of us, unless you, but for some of us, the parents that raised us. <laughs> because our days didn't have naughty corners. 
You're a bad boy, don't do it again. With my father, he just needed five minutes or ten. By the time they look at you, you're another man. <laughs> you remember how the Bible says, the Spirit shall come upon you and you shall be another man. Okay? Some of us, our parents, they just sit down with you ten minutes and they look at you and they cannot recognize you. You're another man. Because when they say come, they mean run. <laughs> Do I have witnesses? Hey, some of us, that's the discipline. That's why we grew up with such discipline. With these things of somebody, you go and just jump on a visitor. Hey. My mother just comes, oh Grace, come. But there's a smile you, you see. And you're like, ay, yeah, 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 what have I done? And the visitors don't understand it because it looks like they're happy with you. No, come, I have a sweet for you. They just see you say, ah, you're resisting. No, don't refuse. Go with mommy. <laughs> I'm trying to tell these guys they're going to slaughter me. <laughs> Somebody said hallelujah. Discuss inheritances when the children are older. They are not entitled to anything. You pastors have to tell your children, you're not even entitled to the anointing operating on my life. It's not for you. It's for the world. It's not only for you. It's for you and the world. You have to earn your place before God and seek him like everyone else and pray like everyone else and serve like everyone else and sow seed like everyone else. Don't think that you're going to make it by because you're my daughter. No. Find your God. It's important to understand them. Raise them on the principle that rewards. So for me, even when I grew up, the second day the man woke me up again. Do you know, 6.45, you're walking out, you don't even know where you're going, but today I want you home. <laughs> Figure yourself. And the Lord is amazing. Do you know how I got my first job? I just woke up one day and I said, but instead of struggling, let me walk down and buy a newspaper. Maybe I'll find a job advert. And I was just sloping down and a woman packs boom, my first boss. Hi, when did you graduate? Two, three months ago. Come, I want to give you a job immediately. That's how I got my job. Walking on the streets, going to buy a newspaper to read a job advertisement. But if this man had not gotten me out, now in retrospect, I see the principle he was teaching me, that when you are seeking something, do something about it. The world will reward you if it sees you sowing. And I'm saying this seriously because our generation doesn't want to work. These 92, 93, 89, 97, they don't like working. They want to become manager the next day. <laughs> we quit, why? But they pay me little money. What? My first salary was 100,000. I remember those days I used to wake up at 2 a.m. to load trucks to go to Chikubo to offload them at 4 a.m. And I'm speaking in tongues, anointed by God. Yes, sir. Some of you don't even have anything on you yet. And now if I carried things, I carried boxes on this head. I was on borders of Sudan, Bibia, Juba, clearing things at 5 a.m. and taking, you sit in the heat, the thing burns you and you feel like you're going, you understand it? Some of us have done things we don't wish some of you would go there. Oh, but you think I just sat on a mountain and say, Father, pour oil. Pour oil. Now my servant, you are ready. Go. <laughs> no. That's not how stuff works. And up to today, my work ethic is still up there. Sleep at 2, wake up at 4 a.m. to pray for you. 
sleep three, four hours. And I still do business as well up to today because I don't want to depend on your command. You understand what I'm saying? I'm a hard worker. Then you find this guy, he's not even married. Hey. Some of us, we are married, we have children, you're managing families, but you, you're even single, but you can't wake up. What's wrong with you? I rebuke you today. In Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. You remember the story of the prodigal son? How this young guy goes and squanders all his wealth, and then the brother comes back, and then he has a party in the house. And the Bible says he became annoyed. And he said, for many years, Father, I have served you, never transgressed. Yet you have never given me even one animal to celebrate with my friends. There was an error there. This man should have done something for his son. You must learn how to reward your children when they do well and tell the siblings I'm doing it because they are doing this. That motivates them. But number two, again you see the wisdom on this man. He has not yet discussed this boy's inheritance because he's waiting for the right time. Now he's forced to say, but everything I have is yours. Only because this boy is hot. But if he wasn't hot, if he had just joined that party, that was not the right time to discuss inheritance. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You have a lot of repentance to do. <laughs> That's what makes it the gospel. This is my heart's prayer for you. There's somebody you're dealing with jealousy and envy, and it's destroyed many things. And today I'm praying to God that your heart releases that spirit of you. But every time you see greatness and progress on a man, you'll celebrate them, you'll acknowledge it, and you'll learn or receive from them. God is dealing with you because some of you, your marriage, marital destinies have been frustrated because of that, your businesses, your health, some of you are sick because you're carrying envy and jealousy in your bones. And today I ask by God, release it and forgive, even as the Lord has forgiven you. But I also pray for us as parents, including myself. May God help us. May God help us. May God help us to be better fathers and mothers according to what he has told us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're sick in your body, I speak healing from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. This week is going to be a good week for you. This month is going to be a wonderful month for you. This year is the best year of your life. And you've got to believe it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ and you want to do that, you're going to repeat these words after me. From your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 
1-800-242-4291 or email us at funerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.